John 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced this to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, and Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not, do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Colin and Chrissy. There's a long passage, a beautiful story that we read about there. I wonder if you, if you heard 
if you were paying attention to what John wrote in verses 8 and 9. John outruns Peter to the tomb. He sees that it's empty, and he says that he saw and believed. And then in verse 9, he makes this comment. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he, Jesus, must rise from the dead. Not that he might, not that he could, not that it was possible, he must. When Jesus died, he knew he would rise again. The scriptures promised it, it had to happen. When Jesus was laid dead in the tomb, no life in him, no breath, his heart was not beating, he was gone. That story was always ending with him walking alive again out of that tomb on his own two feet. He must rise from the dead. There was no other ending. This is not a choose-your-own-adventure book. There was one and only one way for this story to end. Peter says it this way in his great sermon in Acts chapter 2. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus must rise from the dead. It was not possible for him to be held by death. And so, beloved, this morning, I want to proclaim to you from John chapter 20, blessings that must be true for those who receive Jesus as the risen king. Just as Jesus must rise from the dead, it was not possible for him to be held by death. So for those who receive him, certain things must be true. It is not possible that they will not happen. Are you ready for some good news? For some truth? Now, I have to make an important clarification. I am speaking this morning to those of you who have trusted in Jesus. You have repented of your sin and you have received the Savior of the world. If you've not yet done that, these things that I'm going to talk about are not true of you. Not yet. They can be. And I pray that they will be, even before the day is over. But these are blessings that Jesus gives to his blood-bought people. There are three of them. Because Jesus is alive, he is risen from the dead, you will always have God as your father. You will always have peace and you will walk in newness of life by the power of his spirit. Now I'm going to show you from the text why these things are true. From what Jesus says after he has risen from the dead. So that you know, I'm not making these things up. This is what we get from the word of God, from what Jesus himself says is true. So first, because Jesus is alive, he's risen from the dead, you will always have God as your father. Now I'm taking this from what Jesus tells Mary Magdalene to say to the disciples in verse 17. Mary is the first eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus. She is the first one to see him alive again. None of the other disciples have seen him yet. Peter and John have gone to the tomb. They've seen that it's empty, but Mary sees Jesus himself. And he immediately sends her on a mission. He gives her a message. He makes her an ambassador. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, 
For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now imagine the scene with me for a moment. Mary goes to the disciples and she says, I've seen the Lord. So she has seen Jesus. She tells them that he's alive. He's risen from the dead. And just, I wonder, how did they respond? You saw Jesus? He's alive? What did he say? Did he say anything? What did he say? And, and was there any fear in them of what Jesus may have said? Now, what kinds of things do we sometimes think God might say about us? Or maybe other believers have said them about us. Or even Satan, our adversary, wants us to believe. Mary, what did, what did Jesus say? Well, he said, he doesn't really want to be around you anymore. Well, he said, in his greatest time of need, you failed him. You deserted him. He, he actually rehearsed your failures to me, all the worst things about you. Mary, what did he say? He, he said, you're toxic people. You cause me hurt and pain. You're not safe to be around. I don't think you can be trusted. He wants to know how you could do what you did. How could you do something so stupid, so wrong, after all he's done for you? Is that what he said? Oh, no. What did Jesus tell Mary to say? He said, first, go to the disciples? No. Go to my brothers. And beloved, there is deep meaning in that word. Go to my brothers. Jesus is calling them family. And this is what Jesus, the resurrected Jesus has done. He's brought us into his family. He brings us to God. This is the first time in the gospel of John that Jesus uses the word brothers to speak of his disciples. Now, John has used that word before to refer to Mary's other sons, to Jesus' brothers by birth, we would say. But here, Jesus uses it to refer to his disciples. They are his brothers. He, by his death and his resurrection, has brought them into the family of God. Now, the author of Hebrews helps us grasp the wonder of this truth, this incredible blessing, Hebrews chapter 2. For it was fitting that he, God, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation, that's Jesus, perfect through suffering. That is why he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. Beloved, Jesus is not ashamed of you. He is not afraid or ashamed to call you brother or sister. He delights in you. He rejoices over you. Jesus is that perfect elder brother who loves and protects and cares for his own. Now, if you have an older brother, you might not always have that experience with your older brother. My wife, Amy, was the second of six children. She is the second of six children. She had an older brother. 
And she has told me long ago, she told me this story one time when she was a little girl and she's riding her bike out in the country roads down this big long hill and she crashed and fell at the bottom and and she was tore up and her brother was with her. And she just remembers how he sped as fast as he could on his bike that mile home to get help. A loving older brother. Beloved, when we are hurt, when we are broken, when we are in need of help, Jesus, our elder brother, is looking out for us. He is the one who helps us, who saves us, who brings us to God. Beloved, it's Jesus himself who has restored. Indeed, he has transformed our relationship with God. And we needed this. Why? Because we are not naturally born into God's family. That's why I said at the beginning, I'm speaking to those of you who have trusted in Jesus. You've been brought into the family, but we're not born this way. This is not true of us from birth. We don't have God's favor or his peace just by being born. We are born by nature, enemies of God, children of wrath. We are alienated from God. We are outside of his family. We have inherited this sinful nature from our first father, Adam. And so we are heirs of sin and death. By birth, our lives are marked by disobedience, by strife, by sin. But God is gracious and merciful. He is kind to undeserving sinners. By, his, by the death and resurrection of his own son, God brings us back into fellowship with himself and he grants us family privileges. He makes us sons and daughters. We were once his enemies. Now we are seated at his table and that's why we say thank you, Jesus. Now, I want you also to hear what Jesus told Mary to say to his brothers, the disciples. Not just tell my brothers, but then what did she actually say? Jesus told her, tell my brothers, I am sending, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And in saying this, Jesus is both setting himself apart, and he's drawing near. I'm ascending to my Father, to my God. Jesus is saying, I am the unique Son of God. There is no other like me. But he doesn't stop there, yet also to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Through me, you also become sons and daughters of God. Through me, you also have the favor and delight of God. Jesus is using covenant language. God made that promise to Abraham. In him, through his offspring, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. He would be his God. And Abraham's children would be his people. And when Jesus died and rose again, he told Mary to speak these words to his brothers. I'm ascending to my father and your father. To my God and your God. What's he doing? He's proclaiming that he is the offspring of Abraham. He is the seed of the woman. He has just crushed the head of the serpent. He has brought salvation and blessing to the nation. He is the one who's bringing them to God and by him and through him alone, they now have God as their own father. An incredible transformation. Our father who loves us and delights in us just as he does in his perfect son, Jesus. 
our Father who never ceases to do good to us because of the covenant promise he made and because we are now united to his beloved Son, Jesus Christ. If you've been with us through our study of the Gospel of John, it's been a long time, over a year, since we preached on John chapter 1, but there's that key verse in there, John 1.12, where John tells us, to all who did receive Christ, he gave them the right to become children of God. And still we see that theme carrying all the way through. Children of God. Because Jesus is alive, he is risen from the dead, we will always have God as our Father. J.I. Packer has an excellent book, Knowing God. I'm sure many of you have heard of it or read it. If you haven't, I highly recommend it to you. But in it, he, he writes this. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity... Find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child, of having God as his father. And then he says this, if this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he doesn't understand Christianity very well at all. God as our father. The Heidelberg Catechism can help us understand How wonderful that privilege is. Question and answer 26. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? If you're a part of this church, you've said that many times. We've said that many times when we confess our faith together using the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Well, what what do you believe? What do you mean? And here's the answer. That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father because of Christ the Son. I trust God so much. Why do I trust God? Because he's my Father, my loving Heavenly Father, because he gave his Son for me. I trust God so much that I do not doubt He will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this sad world. God is able to do this because he is almighty God. He just raised Jesus from the dead. There's nothing he cannot do. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Do we still teach our kids that song? There's nothing he cannot do. God is able to do this because he is almighty God, able to do what? Provide everything I need for body and soul and turn all my adversity for my good. He's able to do this because he's almighty God and he desires to do this. He wants to do this. Why? Because he is a faithful father. This is who God is. He is our faithful Father. Beloved, God wants to bless you, to do good to you. He doesn't do it begrudgingly. You don't have to pry those blessings out of his hand. He's bountiful in his giving. He just gave his own son for you. How will he not now also with him graciously give you all things? And beloved, this will never change this will never change god will never change his relationship with you or his love for you the only way 
that you could not have God as your father once you've trusted in Jesus Christ is for Jesus to be dead in that tomb. It's the only way. But he's not dead in that tomb. He is risen and he's alive and he reigns today. And so, beloved, you will always have God as your father. Jesus died for you and rose again. He removed the barrier of sin between you and God. And so, because Jesus is alive, he's brought you into that living relationship that he has enjoyed from all eternity and now you will enjoy for all eternity. Well, second, because Jesus is alive, he's risen from the dead, you will always have peace. We heard the words Mary spoke to the disciples from Jesus, but now what are the first words they hear from Jesus himself? What are the first words they hear from Jesus himself? Look at verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. The first words they hear. The last time they saw him, they deserted him. They fled. They failed him in his time of need. The next time they see him, first words, peace be with you. He actually says this three times to them in chapter 20. Here, peace be with you. And then verse 20 continues. When he said this, he he showed them his hands and his side as if to say, I am the sacrifice and I live. As if to say, your sins are forgiven. You were at enmity with God, but now you are at peace with God. And then John continues, that the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, a second time, peace be with you. And then A third time, eight days later, Thomas wasn't with them that first time. Eight days later, Thomas is there. Verse 26, Jesus came and stood among them and again said, first words, peace be with you. Same message the angels announced at his birth in Luke chapter 2. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased or peace among those on whom his favor rests. And now after Jesus has risen, he himself says, peace be with you. So beloved, because Jesus is alive, we have peace with God. And God's peace, perfect shalom, will be the final word over your life. It will be the final word over your life. We might say it like this, it will be the solitary word over your life. Now, right now, we have peace and. In God's eternal kingdom, we will have peace only. Right now, we have peace in the midst of. But in God's eternal kingdom, it will be peace and the absence of. Right now, God's people have peace in the midst of sorrow. Peace in the midst of anxiety. Peace in the midst of depression. Peace in the midst of struggles with sin. Peace in the midst of suffering and pain and turmoil and fear. But in the end, we will only have peace. No in the midst of. Peace and no sorrow. Peace and no anxiety. Peace and no depression. Peace and no struggles with sin. Peace and no suffering. 
Peace and no pain, no abuse, no injustice, no oppression. Peace and no fear, no conflict, no anger. Peace and no regret, no shame, no sadness, no weariness. Peace with God, peace with one another, peace with his new creation forever. Amen? All because of Jesus. Because he's risen. The whole world needs this peace. Andrew Peterson has this song where he he repeatedly asks of God, is he worthy? And he also asks this question, do we feel the world is broken? And there's this refrain that comes back, we do. There's brokenness inside us and all around us. It touches every nation, every people group, every family, every individual. And beloved, we who are God's people, we have the message of healing and hope of eternal peace that the world needs, that the world longs for. But we must speak this message. We must speak this good news. This is how people believe today. It's how they go from being enemies of God to his children as we, God's people, proclaim Christ. Look again at verse 29. You know, Thomas wasn't with them. Then then he's there. Jesus comes and Thomas sees and believes. And Jesus says to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's today. That's us. Today, people don't see with their own eyes the signs that Jesus did that are recorded for us in the Gospel of John. They see us. They hear us. We are the sent ones now. Jesus is not visibly present to do more signs. We are now his body here on earth. And so the world is to see what Jesus is like through us. To have the sick and the poor cared for by our hands. To hear the good news of the gospel through our lips. And we're not alone in this mission. We have the power to do this. Why? Because Jesus is actually present with us. He has given us his spirit. That's why we remind you every week that we prayerfully go forth as one body empowered by the Spirit to praise God and love people and do what? Proclaim the risen Christ until he comes. So can we do that this Advent season? When nearly everyone we know at least has Christmas on their minds and we know That Christmas is not about gifts and toys and presents. What is it about? It's about the incarnation of the Son of God. God in flesh come to save us. Can we not tell someone that good news? Can we not invite them to join us to worship him? Maybe for our lessons and carol service two weeks from today on the 19th where we'll come and We'll rehearse that gospel together. We'll read of the promises in scripture. We'll proclaim the glory of Jesus Christ. Beloved, that's how people come to know Christ today. From hearing that good news. 
And so, beloved, because Jesus is alive, he's risen from the dead, you will have peace for all eternity. I want to encourage you to rest in that truth, to find comfort in that truth. And as you do, as you enjoy that for yourself, can we together do everything we can to bring as many people as possible with us to enjoy that peace? Finally, third, because Jesus is alive, he is risen from the dead, you will. Beloved, you who are the children of God, you will walk in newness of life by the power of his spirit. I get this last point from what Jesus says in verse 21 and 22 and also from his teaching earlier in the Gospel of John. And then also I'll point us back again to Paul and what he teaches us in Romans 6. So I'm stepping beyond just the bounds of chapter 20 here, but from what Jesus has taught elsewhere. So Jesus says in verse 21, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So because Jesus is alive and he has ascended into heaven, everyone, without exception, everyone who trusts in him must be indwelt by the Spirit. That's what happens when you trust in Jesus. There's there's no other way. You must be indwelt by his spirit. And when you are indwelt by the spirit of the living Christ, you will walk in newness of life by the power of his spirit. The apostle Paul says this in Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know? That all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is what is true of us. Because we've been united to Jesus by faith, we've been given his spirit. We believe that Jesus is alive and reigning today. We must not live as if Jesus is dead. We must not live as if he's still lying in that tomb. We must not live as if Jesus was a mere man or as if he never existed as a practical atheist. And beloved, we won't. At least not consistently. Why? Because the spirit of the living God within you will not allow it. He cannot abide that. Yes, we humbly acknowledge with grief and sorrow that there will be times when we grieve the spirit. In fact, every day. Jerry Bridges says, your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. And your worst days are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. So there are times every day when we grieve the Spirit, when we do live as if Jesus were dead, as if he was not our Savior and Lord. But what happens in those times, in those moments? You still have God as your Father. You still have God as your Father. Why? Because Jesus always walked by the Spirit in the newness of life, and you are united to him. You are in him. And you still have peace with God. Although, you will have peace and. You'll have peace and feelings of guilt 
and shame and remorse and regret. And you may have peace and painful consequences of sin that cause real and lasting harm. But your relationship with God can never be broken. Nothing can ever separate you from his love or sever that eternal bond of peace that you have. And so in those times, as the Holy Spirit convicts you, what will you do? You will respond with repentance and faith. You'll acknowledge your sin and rejoice in his forgiveness once again. You'll have renewed faith and a renewed zeal for obedience. And you will do this, why? Not because of the strength of your character. Not because of all your spiritual disciplines, but because of the power and the presence of the spirit of the living, reigning, ascended Christ in your life. And you will press on. You will press on in this ongoing life of sanctification until Jesus returns or calls you home because he is going to complete the work that he has begun in you. He's promised it. Beloved, this story doesn't end any other way but you perfect in heaven. That's how it ends, alive. Alive in and with Christ. And so hear the good news again as we close. Beloved, you who trust in Jesus, you who have repented of your sins and believe in him, you are free from the guilt and power of sin and death. Jesus says, you are my brother, my sister. My God is your God. My Father is your Father. Peace be with you. Hear that good news, that truth, and let that truth, that good news, compel you to no longer live for yourself, but to live for the one who loved you and gave himself for you, the one who died and rose again. And that good news will compel you. You will live for him. Beloved, this must happen just as sure as Jesus must rise from the dead. And because Jesus did rise, he now lives and reigns forever. You, beloved, will always have God as your father. You will always have peace and you will walk in newness of life by the power of the Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Amen.